ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا وسيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله اما بعد Today then we start on the new chapter, Babu Ma Ja'a Fis-Sihr, the chapter regarding what has been mentioned about magic. Before reading the text of this chapter, we'll have a look at the introduction that Sheikh Al-Fawzan, Hafizahullah Ta'ala, has mentioned here. regarding magic firstly he says munasabatu hadha albab lil abwab as-sabiqah the connection between this chapter and the previous chapters anna shaykha rahimahullah fil abwab as-sabiqah dhakara anwa'an min ash-shirk wa wasa'il ash-shirk that in the previous chapters the author as Sheikh Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahhab had mentioned various forms of shirk and the means to shirk walamma kana as-sihr naw'an min anwa'i ash-shirk aqada lahu hadha al-bab And because magic is one of the types of shirk, then that's why he has specified or put together this chapter regarding magic specifically. Because magic is a type from the types of shirk. لِأَنَّ السِّحَرْ لا يمكن الوصول إليه إلا عن طريق الشياطين الشيخ الفوزان حفظه الله says magic it is not possible to do it except via the shayateen magic cannot be done except via the shayateen فَالصَّحَرَةَ يَخْضَعُونَ لِلشَّيَاطِينِ وَيَسْتَعِينُونَ بِهِمْ فِي سِحْرِهِمْ وَهَذَا شِرْكٌ بِاللَّهِ عَزَّ وَجَلَّ So the magicians, they are subservient to the shayateen and they seek help and assistance and aid from the shayateen to do their magic and that is of course shirk associating partners alongside Allah when they submit themselves to the shayateen and they seek aid and assistance from those shayateen والسحر في اللغة كل ما لطف وخفي سببه 
Sihr in the Arabic language, it refers to anything that is very fine and delicate, something very hidden and not easily recognized. Everything that is hidden and concealed and the, the reasoning and reality behind it cannot be easily determined and ascertained. And that's why the last part of the night is known as the Sahar time. The Sahar time because it is the darkest part of the night and so the affairs are concealed at that time of the night due to the darkness that envelops everything and so it is known as the Sahar and when Ramadan comes, what do you have in that last part of the night? The Sahur, that is from that Sahar, that last part of the night, the darkest part of the night, where concealment is at its maximum. And that's the same family tree of words, with the same linguistic root and meaning of concealment, and being something that is very difficult to see and ascertain and recognize what's going on. So that is known as the Sahar, لأنه خفي وكل ما لطف يعني دقة وخفي سببه عن الناس يسمى سحرا في اللغة. So everything that is very, very fine and delicate and concealed and you can't recognize and work out what is going on with it. Then all of those types of things linguistically are from this word of sihr. فَالسِّحْرْ تَحْسُلُ بِأُمُورٍ خَفِيَّةٍ لَا تُدْرِكُهَا الْأَبْصَارِ And so magic when it is done, it is done with very concealed types of affairs that the eyes cannot work out. The eyes cannot recognize what's just happened. It is something concealed and something very fine that when the magicians do their magic with your eyesight, you can't work it out what's happened. How have they done that? It is concealed and not visible and clear to the eyes as to what is happening. لِأَنَّ الْأَفْعَالَ الَّتِي تَقَعُ فِيهَا تَكُونُ خَفِيَّةٍ Because the actions that they carry out in the process of magic are very fine actions, very delicate actions that the eyes do not catch on to. That's the root meaning of the word سِحَر and when we get to the section regarding, uh, maybe it mentions again the story of Musa salam and the magicians. When those magicians initially 
threw down the sticks and they became as appeared to be they became snakes the reality is as a sheikh al-fawzan himself mentioned maybe here or elsewhere that they used to use certain chemicals like these days in chemistry you do your your experiments in class you have two different liquids you put them together and it blows up or the smoke comes out when different liquids they meet so at that time a sheikh al-fawzan says some of the magicians they used to use certain types of chemical compounds certain types of liquids they would mix them together into the hollows of these sticks and when those liquids collided and melted there would be mini explosions within the sticks as we would say making the sticks move giving the appearance that they are alive and they are snakes but to the naked eye you would not see what's going on how have they done that they would not be mixing the liquids before your eyes so magic is an affair that is concealed and it is secretive and the naked eye does not catch on to what is going on and the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam mentioned in a statement that comes up in kitab at-tawhid inna min al-bayani la sihra al-bayan ma'nahu al-kalam al-baligh لأنه يستعمل النفوس ويؤثر فيها كما يؤثر السحر إلا أنه ليس حراما وكذلك النميمة سميت سحرا لأنها تعمل عمل السحر في الإفساد بين الناس وإحداث البغضاء في القلوب وإن لم تكن سحرا في الحقيقة لكنها سحر لغوي there are more examples to explain further why sihr is known as sihr magic with that word in Arabic. There's an example where the Prophet ﷺ said, Inna min al-bayani la sihra, that indeed certain types of speech, they are, that speech is sihr. That speech is magic. And that is in reference to how the, the eloquence of that speech encapsulates the people. It, it, it takes a hold of the hearts of the people and impacts upon the people just like magic would. Magic when it is done by the magicians takes a hold of someone. And just like that, the speech of people in its eloquence can sometimes take a hold of people, take a hold of their minds and take them into the methodology and ideology. So the messenger said, some types of speech are like magic. And even Namima, tail carrying, it has been said, that it is called sihr also because namima tail carrying between people to cause corruption between people you go to one person and say i heard he was saying this and he was saying that and he was making this comment and that comment and then you go to the next person and narrate the stories of this one and that one it has been called sihr 
that namima because of how it impacts upon people in causing corruption between people لانها تعمل عمل السحر في الافساد بين الناس namima has the impact of magic in how it affects people how magic would affect people and cause corruption upon the ones it has affected then tail carrying likewise causes corruption upon those people that it has affected and taken a hold of and that's why they say that the namam the tail carrier causes more corruption in an hour than a magician does in a year a namam causes more corruption in an hour than a magician does in a year and that is to highlight the severity of namima the severity of carrying tales between people with the objective of corruption even if the shaitan whispers to you but you're doing good you need to go and inform this and inform that and tell this and tell that but in reality it is only corruption you are creating and that's why the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam when he walked past the graves of the two men marra an-nabiy sallallahu alayhi wasallam bi qabrain faqal innahuma layu'adhdaban that they are being punished one of them ahaduhuma كان يمشي بالنميمة والآخر كان لا يستنزه من البول. One of them used to carry tails between the people, and so he was being punished in the grave, and that is an evidence that نميمة is one of the أسباب عذاب القبر. One of the causes for the punishment of the grave. When you look in the books of Aqida, they sometimes mention to you the different أحاديث. that have mentioned specific sins connected to the punishment of the grave and this hadith is an evidence that namima is a sin connected to the punishment of the grave so namima has been called sihr because of the impact it has upon people just like magic has its impact upon people wa ihdath albaghda fi alqulub and because of the hatred that it creates and produces between the hearts of the people so even though namima isn't actually magic the impact of it is like magic and that is why it is known as and it has been called and termed as sihr the namima so that is the definition of sihr linguistically we haven't got to islamically yet That is more a linguistic explanation of what magic is, the meaning of the word sihr. Amma ta'rifuhu fi shar'. As for the definition of magic islamically speaking, fas-sihr 'ibara 'an 'aza'im wa ru'a wa 'uqad wa adwiyah yu'athir fi badan al-mas'hur بالقتل أو بالمرض أو بالإخلال بعقله أو يفرق بين الزوجين أو يأخذ الزوج عن زوجته فلا يستطيع الوصول إليها. Magic Islamically speaking 
It is the usage of certain types of, I believe they call them incantations, when they say those certain kinds of words, when they speak certain kinds of words on their magic spells and on their po- uh, the, the cauldrons and potions that they make, and they have certain words that they say upon them, and they have certain types of knots that they bind. All of these are from the methods of magic, the recitations that they say upon their potions, upon their cauldrons, when they are mixing the affairs, the knots that they tie, uh, the certain types of chemicals and medicines and liquids, potions that they create. And these kinds of things, all of those variations of them, they impact upon the, the one who the magic is done to. Those things impact upon the one that the magic is being done to, to the extent that they may cause the death of the one who the magic is done to. They may cause severe illness or illness of some type in the one that the magic is done to. Or they may cause mental problems to that person, his mental faculties, his intellect, his mind is taken away or affected by the magic. And so he no longer thinks straight. He can no longer use his mental faculties properly. Or that it splits between the husband and the wife. All of these types of affairs, they can result from that magic. And the magic can be the potions that they create, the chemicals that they make. It can be the certain incantations, the words and spells, as we say. When you hear it, the spells that they make, all of those things and the knots that they tie, like uh, as an example of the voodoo dolls and these affairs, all of those matters are forms of magic and the one who it is done to might die from that or may become ill from that or may lose their mind from that or it splits between the husband and the wife because of that. And this is, as Allah said in the Qur'an, وَمِن شَرِّ النَّفَّاثَاتِ فِي الْعُقَدِ That you seek refuge with Allah from the evil of the sorceresses who blow into the knots. When they tie the knots and they blow into those knots, the knots that they tie, as a means of creating and causing magic upon a person. And nafathat, yani sawahir, a sahirat. Fasahir, yaqud, al uqad, bil khayt, thumma yanfuthu fiha min riqih, wa yastarinu bil shaytan, wa yuathiru hada bi idnillah, fil mashur. إِمَّا قَتْلًا وَإِمَّا مَرَضًا وَإِمَّا تَفْرِيقًا بَيْنَهُ وَبَيْنَ حَبِيبِهِ وَإِمَّا أَنْ يَمْنَعَهُ عَنْ زَوْجَتِهِ فَلَا يَسْتَضِعُ الْوَصُولَ إِلَيْهَا So the magicians, they tie these knots with strings and they blow into them and they spittle into them and they seek help from the shayateen in doing so. 
They seek help and they call upon the devils, upon the shayateen, when they're blowing into these nuts and spitting into these nuts. And then the one who the magic is intended upon may die. He may die from the effect of the magic or become ill or it separates between him and his beloved. وَقَدْ سُحِرَ النَّبِيُّ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمُ وَأَثَّرَ فِيهِ الصِّحَرِ وَصَارَ عَلَيْهِ الصَّلَاةُ وَالسَّلَامُ يُخَيَّلُ إِلَيْهِ أَنَّهُ فَعَلَ شَيْءٍ وَلَمْ يَكُنْ فَعَلَهُ وَرَقَاهُ جِبْرِيلُ فَبَرِئَ بِإِذْنِ اللَّهِ And we know <coughs> that the Prophet sallallahu magic was done to him. Magic was done to the Prophet وسلم, and it impacted upon him to the extent that he would imagine things, he was seeing things. Like you say these days, hallucinations. That he thought he had done something and he hadn't done it. That it was being like hallucinations were occurring for him, imagining that something had happened or he'd done something and hadn't done it. يُخَيَّلُ إِلَيْهِ أَنَّهُ فَعَلَ شَيْءٍ وَلَمْ يَكُنْ فَعَلَهِ And so then Jibreel alayhi salam had upon the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and he was cured. فَالسِّحَرْ لَهُ حَقِيقَةِ So magic is real. Magic is real. وَيُؤَثِّرُ فِي بَدَنِ الْمَسْحُورِ And it impacts upon the physical body of the one who the magic is done upon. وَلَكِنَّهُ لَا يُؤَثِّرُ إِلَّا بِإِذْنِ اللَّهِ الْقَدَرِ However, a person should not become afraid. Rather, a person should remember and maintain his absolute trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and know that nothing can afflict him and nothing can occur to him except by the will of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, except by the decree of Allah. Otherwise, nothing will occur to you, nobody will harm you. It mentions in the hadith, وَلَوْ اجْتَمَعُوا الْأُمَّةِ وَلَوْ اجْتَمَعُوا عَلَىٰ أَنْ يَذُرُّوكَ بِشَيْءٍ لَمْ يَذُرُّوكَ إِلَّا بِشَيْءٍ قَدْ كَتَبَهُ اللَّهُ عَلَيْكَ That if all of the ummah united, plotting together to do some harm to you, all of them, they would not be able to touch you or harm you, except if it is something decreed by Allah. If it is not decreed, then no harm will come to you. كَمَا قَالَ تَعَالَى As Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, وَمَا هُمْ بِضَارِّينَ بِهِ مِنْ إِلَّا بِإِذْنِ اللَّهِ that they cannot harm anyone with that magic. They cannot harm anyone illa bi'ithnillah except by the permission of Allah. Ay ithnullah al-qadari al-kawni The permission of Allah in terms of the decree in the creational sense what occurs in this world Whatever Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wills, it occurs, and what he does not will, will not occur. So a person 
does not become fearful. A person who becomes fearful like that is due to the weakness of Tawheed in his heart. A person must be strong upon his Tawheed, upon his worship of Allah, upon his trust and dependence and reliance in Allah. And a person who has that Iman and strength, then he will not be overcome by whispers and overcome by fear of this happening and that happening. It's like a Shaykh Al-Athameen said, these days a person gets the zukam, he gets a cold, and he gets problematic, gets ill, gets a headache, gets the running nose, gets the problem here, the pain here, and he says, Khalas, somebody's done magic to me. It's magic, my head and here and here. It must be magic. Somebody's done magic. A Shaykh Al-Athameen says, calm down. Two days and you'll be okay. It's a cold. You have the zukam. Calm down. Two days you'll be okay. There's no magic or anything. But these days, the smallest thing, the smallest thing, it must be magic. Somebody must have done something. I know that person, this person. And two days later, it's all gone. It was a cold, a paracetamol tablet by the permission of Allah. So the sheikh says people need to calm down with these affairs. Calm down with it. Not every little thing that happens must be magic and it must be this and it must be that. Yes, it can be. And it occurs and it is real. But the point is, as Shaykh Al-Athimeen said, the people must calm down with the affair. وَقَدْ ذَكَرَ الْعُلَمَاءِ أَنَّ السِّحْرَ الْمُحَرَّمُ عَلَى نَوْعَيْنِ the scholars have mentioned <coughs> that the, the magic that is haram, haram, it is of two types. Magic is, of course, haram, and it is of two types. Sihrun haqiqi, magic in reality. One type is actual magic, where they mix their potions and their spells and their knots in the strings and they blow into them and all those things. And that is actual magic that occurs upon a person. The second type, sihrun al-nawithani, sihrun takhili. The magic that is, uh, it is perceived or something that you like an illusion illusionary magic it's an illusion that it's not magic in reality like the first type with the potions and the spells and the knots and the spitting into it not that type it is another type that is like an illusion illusionary magic that it appears something is occurring to your eyes but in reality, that's not what is actually occurring. A type of illusionary magic. So, al-naw'athani sihrun takhili laysa lahu haqiqah. So this type is not actual magic that's been done. وَإِنَّمَا هُوَ خِيَالٌ وَشَعْوَذَةٌ But it is only an illusion that is being portrayed to the eyes of those who look وَهُوَ مَا يُسَمَّى بِالْقُمْرَةِ It is also known as Al-Qumrah. 
فالساحر يخيل للناس شيئا وهو ليس حقيقة so in that type the magician creates an illusion in the eyes of the people when they see something they think it's in a certain way they think something is happening but it's not it's an illusion created by the magician كأن يخيل للناس أنه دخل في النار وليس كذلك أو يخيل للناس أنه يمشي على حبل وهو ليس كذلك أو يخيل للناس أن السيارة تمشي على بطنه وليس كذلك أو يخيل للناس أنه يطعن نفسه بالسلاح ولا يؤثر فيه وليس كذلك والحقيقة أنه عمل شيئا من التخييل والأمرة فأثر على الأبصار <coughs> This type of maybe it is known as or could be called the illusionary type of magic it is where the magician creates an illusion in the eyes of the onlookers so he performs his trick where they have burning fire and he walks into the fire walks right through the fire and it's not burning him it's not burning his feet nothing walking through blazing hot fire calmly walks through and it doesn't affect him to the onlookers they can't work out how what what's going on how is he managing that how is he walking on fire walking through fire but there is some illusion that he has created giving the impression and the illusion of what he's doing and he's not in reality upon that or perhaps uh, there are a few examples the sheikh gives here a common one again is where the magicians they lie down and a huge truck drives over them for example they lie down and a huge truck slowly the wheels they come and they drive over the body of that person and you think how how is he not being crushed under that truck dead this huge truck wheels bigger than himself driving over the top of him 20 tons whatever it is drives over his body and you think how but it's an illusion that is created in the way that it's done and how they perform that to the eyes you can't see what's happening all you can see is this huge truck driving over his body but there is more to it but to the eyes it cannot be perceived and understood so it's an illusion created that he can withstand 10 tons driving over his body without his ribs cracking without his body being squashed or for example again common that a magician will come with a dagger or a knife and stab himself take the knife and stab himself and here and in his mouth and all of these things and you think how how can this be a knife he shows you and then he stabs himself here and here and it doesn't do anything doesn't do anything to him doesn't cut him doesn't open him up and blood everywhere nothing but again it is an illusion that is created upon the eyes how it is done and what is done so these types of magic are not an actual magic where they've done knots and tied in tied the knots and blown into them and done their spells and potions and those affairs this is a type of illusion that they create 
And some of the scholars, they say, at the time of Musa alayhi salam, those magicians were doing this. That all it was was certain chemicals and things they were using in those sticks, making the sticks move, giving the illusion that they'd brought them to life, moving snakes. In fact, the Sheikh mentions it here, As Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, regarding the uh, people of Pharaoh, That they did magic upon the eyes of the people. Meaning the illusion that they created in the eyes of the people in what they were seeing in the movement of these sticks and as though they have become snakes. So their magic, it was only an illusion upon the eyes of how it was being seen. It's all here. The Sheikh mentions it here. التي معهم مواد تحركها وتجعل العصا كأنها حية وهي ليست كذلك. So they used to put these chemicals into those sticks, and when the chemicals react, then they would cause movement the way that they react, and then the stick would start shaking and moving, and so it would appear that they brought them to life, and they are like snakes, and in reality it was only an illusion. And they had not actually done magic and made them into snakes. Uh, and so Allah mentioned in the Quran, what, uh, So their ropes and their sticks, the illusion was being given from them that they were moving. حَيْثُ حَشَوْهَا بِشَيْءٍ مِنَ الزِّئْبَقِ وَشَيْءٌ مِنَ الْأُمُورِ الَّتِي لَا يَرَاهَا النَّاسِ وَظَنُّوا أَنَّهَا تَتَحَرَّكِ So because they'd used those compounds, etc. And then that created the movement in the sticks, and the people would not know that this is the illusion that they've created. وَأَنْكَرَةِ الْمُعْتَزِلَةِ As a side point here, أَنْكَرَةِ الْمُعْتَزِلَةِ النَّوْعُ الْأَوَّلِ مع أن النوع الأول هو الخطير وقالوا السحر كله تخيلي It is mentioned by some of the people of innovation like the Mu'tazila that magic in reality doesn't exist. They said magic only exists in the illusionary form not in the actual form when the magicians blow into the knots and they they do their spells and things. They said, no, none of that exists. It's only this illusionary type of magic that exists. And that is, of course, false. Both of these types of magic, they exist and they are real. And the first type, the actual magic, is the more dangerous. That is the type that can impact physically upon the body of the person, even killing that person. فَهَذَا غَيْرُ صَحِيحِ لِأَنَّهُ لَوْ كَانَ كَذَلِكَ لَمَا أَثَّرَ فِي الْمَسْحُورِ وَلَمَا قُتِلَ أَقَتَلَ الْمَسْحُورِ وَلَمَا أَمْرَضَهُ وَلَمَا فَرَّقَ بَيْنَهُ وَبَيْنَ زَوْجِهِ فَدَلَّ عَلَى أَنَّهُ حَقِيقِي وَعَمَلٌ شَيْطَانِي لِأَنَّهُ عُقَدْ وَعَزَائِمْ 
So if it was the case like the people of innovation claim that there is no magic in reality, it's only illusion, then we would not have seen that the one who is afflicted with magic ends up dying from it. People die from it. And we would not see that the people become sick and ill from it. And we would not see that the man and the wife are separated as a consequence of it. That is not illusion, that is occurring in reality. So that is uh, evidence that this magic is real and it is from the satanic works, from the satanic acts, from the shayateen. And that's why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the Quran told us and commanded us to seek refuge, to seek protection with him from the magicians from the sorceresses. And so Allah told us, قُلْ أَعُوذُ بِرَبِّ الْفَلَقِ Up until when it goes to, وَمِنْ شَرِّ النَّفَّاثَاتِ فِي الْعُقَدِ That section is in reference to السحر الحقيقي. مِنْ شَرِّ النَّفَّاثَاتِ فِي الْعُقَدِ دَلَّ عَلَى أَنَّهُ حَقِيقِي That you seek refuge with Allah, seek protection with Allah. From the sorceresses who blow into the knots and afflict the people with their magic. Meaning a Sheikh Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahab, fi hadha al bab min al nusus ala nawain. An nawu al awal fi hukm, fi hukm is sahar, wa nawu al thani fi hukm is sahar. What you're going to see in this chapter of magic are two types of evidences. One aspect of the evidences is going to be looking at the ruling on magic. What has been mentioned in the Quran and the Sunnah about the action of magic, the rulings on magic. And then the other evidences in these chapters, there's a few coming up now all about magic. The other evidences are about the magicians. What is the Islamic ruling on magicians, on fortune tellers, on the crystal ball, on the card readers, on the palm readers, sorcerers, all of these types of people, what is the Islamic ruling on them? So the Islamic ruling on magic and the Islamic ruling on the ones who perform magic and sorcery. And then, if time allows, if time allows, we'll maybe come to the section and discuss the ruling on removing magic from someone using magic. Is that permissible or not? That's a discussion, maybe we'll come to that at the end. So this is the introduction to the chapter regarding magic. And so it is something that occurs in reality. And there are examples of it in reality. And we've mentioned before that story, a uh, true story about how, I think it was in Saudi Arabia, where the police, they caught a magician. True story. They caught a magician. They managed to locate his house where that magician lived, they caught the magician. In his house, this was documented afterwards, 
in his house, he was living in one room of the house, this magician. And on the walls in that room, there were drawings of uh, females. Drawings of females uh, without garments. Drawing of females without garments. And on the bodies of those drawings of the females without garments were ayat of the Qur'an. And then in the middle of the room, there was a pile of feces. In the middle of the room, a pile of feces. That uh, he never used to use the toilet, he used to do it in the middle of the room. And this is what the shayateen of the jinn had commanded him to do. In these disgusting, uh, uh, this disgusting type of existence, to live in that room, and all of his feces piled up in the center where he was relieving himself. And then on the walls, the degradation of the Qur'an. And this is how it is. That's why the Shaykh said, magic only occurs via the shayateen. And you must submit yourself to the shayateen in order for them to then aid you and assist you in creating these illusions and magic and what you do. You submit to their commands, the shayateen. You show your subservience to them and obey them and do what they tell you to do. And then they will give you the ability to do what you do. And inshallah, next time we'll mention as well the famous story that Sheikh Abdul Razak always mentions about the magician and his neighbor, the story of the magician and his neighbor, and the neighbor knew that his neighbor was a magician and he wanted to be a magician. So he went to his neighbor to ask him, how do I become a magician? And he gave him the story, but we'll come to that later on, inshallah. So then, the first evidence in this particular chapter. Who wants to read? Go on then. Have you got a mic? قال المصنف رحمه الله باب ما جاء في السحر وقول الله تعالى ولقد علموا لمن لمن اشتراه ما له في الآخرة من خلاق وقوله وقوله يؤمنون بالجبت والطاغوت قال عمر الجبت السحر والطاغوت الشيطان وقال جابر الطواغيت رحام كان ينزل عليهم الشيطان في كل حي واحد أن أبي كريرة رضي الله عنه أن رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم قال اجتنب السبع الموبيقات قالوا يا رسول الله وما هن قال أشترك بالله والسحر وقتل النفس التي حرم الله إلا بالحق وأكل الربا وأكل مال اليتيم والتولي يوم الزهد وقذف المحصنات الغافلات المعمنات أخرجه وعن جندب مرفوعة حد الساهر ضربه في السيف 
رواه الترمذي وقال الصحيح أنه موقوف وفي صحيح البخاري عن بجالة بن عبادة قال كتب عمر بن الخطاب رضي الله عنه أن يقتلوا كل ساحر وساحرة قال فقتلنا ثلاث سواحرة وصح عن حفصة رضي الله عنها أنها أمرت بقتل جارية لها سحرتها فقتلت وكذلك صح عن جندب قال أحمد عن ثلاثة عن ثلاثة من أصحاب النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم So the first evidence in this chapter قول الله تعالى ولقد علموا لمن اشتراه ماله في الآخرة من خلاق that indeed they knew that which they purchased that they would not have as a consequence any share in the afterlife ولقد علموا that indeed they knew as a consequence of engaging in their magic and abandoning the revelation, they would have no share in the afterlife of goodness. They knew that. Who are they? Who are they exactly in this ayah? They knew the ones who purchased or engaged in this magic and abandon their revelation, that they would have nothing in the afterlife as a consequence. Who knew? The Jews. These ayat in Al-Baqarah, they are in the context of talking about the Jews. وَلَقَدْ عَلِمُوا أَيَّ الْيَهُودِ لِأَنَّ الْآيَةِ فِي سَيَاقِ الْآيَاتِ الَّتِي تَتَحَدَّثُ عَنِ الْيَهُودِ The context of these ayat is talking about the Jews. That they knew, they knew, they were aware that by exchanging their revelation and what they were commanded with in the Torah, by abandoning that and taking on board magic and engaging in that instead, that as a consequence there would be nothing for them in the afterlife. So it is about the Jews, lakin. يَدْخُلْ فِي الْآيَةِ كُلُّ مُتَعَلِّمِ السِّحَةِ Even though the, the context of the ayah in the section of the Qur'an where it's mentioned is talking about the Jews, that they knew about this affair, anybody who engages in that same act, therefore has the same ruling. Anybody, doesn't mean that it's only the Jews, if they do that, they have this ruling, and if anybody else does it, they don't. If anybody else does the same, they abandon their revelation, and they go upon magic and engage in that instead, then they are upon the same ruling, they will not have anything in the afterlife, because when you abandon the revelation you've been given, to worship Allah alone upon Tawheed, you abandon that, you turn your back on that, and you take on board magic and engage in that instead, you have committed kufr. You have committed kufr by doing so. لَمَنِ اشْتَرَاهُ أَيْ اسْتَبْدَلَ السِّحْرِ بِالتَّوْرَاتِ 
ما له في الآخرة من خلاق أي الساحر ليس له نصيب من الجنة that the magician has no share in paradise there is no share of paradise for a magician ومقتضى ذلك أن عمله باطل حبطت أعماله وقد كفر this therefore necessitates that Allah tells us ما له في الآخرة من خلاق that they will not have any share of paradise in the afterlife. A person who will not have any share of paradise is therefore a kafir. And that means the ones who engage in magic, then their actions are nullified and destroyed. Their actions are nullified and destroyed and they've committed kufr. And that's why Allah tells us they will not have any share of paradise. Those who engage in magic, those who are the magicians. لَيْسَ لَهُ نَصِيبٌ فِي الْجَنَّةِ وَهَذَا دَلِيلٌ عَلَىٰ أَنَّهُ كَافِرٌ And this is therefore an evidence that the magician is a kafir. As the scholars they say, you can only be a magician upon having committed kufr. You cannot think that you are a magician, but you are a person of tawheed. You only get to the level of being a magician upon having transgressed through kufr. So a person who is a magician has committed kufr, and all of his actions are destroyed, and so he has no share in paradise in the afterlife. What about if he repents? We're going to get to that. It's going to come. فَالسِّحَرْ كُفْرٌ بِاللَّهِ عَزَّ وَجَلِ So magic is kufr. You have disbelieved in Allah if you perform magic. وَذَلِكَ مِنْ عِدَّةِ مَوَاضِعِ فِي الْآيَةِ And in these ayat, there are multiple examples highlighting why this magic is impermissible, it is kufr. So for example, it says, وَمَا كَفَرَ سُلَيْمَانِ وَمَا كَفَرَ سُلَيْمَانِ وَلَكِنَّ الشَّيَاطِينَ كَفَرُوا يُعَلِّمُونَ النَّاسَ السِّحْرِ That Sulaiman did not disbelieve, but the shayateen, they disbelieved. They committed kufr, they go and teach the people magic. Clearly highlighting that those who were engaged in the magic had committed kufr and they were teaching them people magic, they had committed kufr. Whereas Sulaiman, who was not doing that, had not, he was upon iman. He did not disbelieve. But the shayateen, they are the ones who disbelieved. They teach the people magic. And similarly, it goes on to say, in the ayah, same ayah, long ayah, وَمَا يُعَلِّمَانِ مِنْ أَحَدٍ حَتَّى يَقُولَا أي الملكان إِنَّمَا نَحْنُ فِتْنَةٍ فَلَا تَكْفُرٍ That they said to them, 
We are indeed a trial for you. So do not commit kufr. Telling them that if you engage in the affairs of magic, etc., you are going to end up having committed kufr. And also the part that was mentioned as the evidence, وَلَقَدْ عَلِمُوا لَمَنْ اشْتَرَاهُ They knew when they uh, took on board the affair of magic and got engaged in it, مَا لَهُ فِي الْآخِرَةِ مِنْ خَلَاقٍ That they would therefore have no share in paradise in the afterlife. These are all clear-cut evidences from the very start of this chapter to lay down the foundation that there is no doubt in this affair, no gray area, magic is kufr and engaging in it is kufr and there is no share in the afterlife for the one who practices and engages in it. Then it mentions the second evidence, وَقَوْلُهُ يُؤْمِنُونَ بِالْجِبْتِ وَالطَّاغُوتِ قَالَ الْمُصَنِّفِ رَحِمَهُ اللَّهُ تَعَالَى يُؤْمِنُونَ بِالْجِبْتِ وَالطَّاغُوتِ ثُمَّ ذَكَرَ تَفْسِيرَ الْجِبْتِ وَالطَّاغُوتِ بِقَوْلِهِ قَالَ عُمَرَ الْجِبْتِ السِّحْرِ وَالطَّاغُوتِ الشَّيْطَانِ فَالْيَهُودِ يُؤْمِنُونَ بِالسِّحْرِ so in this ayah, and in other parts of the Qur'an as well, أَلَمْ تَرَ إِلَى الَّذِينَ أُوتُوا نَصِيبًا مِنَ الْكِتَابِ يُؤْمِنُونَ بِالْجِبْتِ وَالطَّاغُوتِ Do you not see regarding those who were given a share of the revelation, yet they believe in الْجِبْت وَالطَّاغُوتِ Yet they believe in magic and the shaytan. And that is the definition here when the ayah says يُؤْمِنُونَ بِالْجِبْتِ وَالطَّاغُوتِ That they believe in الْجِبْتِ وَالطَّاغُوتِ الْجِبْتِ is السِّحْر That's the statement of Umar ibn al-Khattab That الْجِبْتِ in the ayah means السِّحْر, magic And الطَّاغُوت is the shaytan So when it says أَلَمْ تَرَ إِلَى الَّذِينَ أُوتُوا نَصِيبًا مِنَ الْكِتَابِ يُؤْمِنُونَ بِالْجِبْتِ وَالطَّاغُوتِ those who are given a portion of the book, and yet they believe in magic and the shayateen. This is the explanation of yu'minuna bil jibti wa ta'ghut. Wa ta'ghut ash-shaytan ayhuwa ra'su ta'waghit. The shaytan is the head of the ta'ghut, of all of the ta'ghut, and you've done the ta'ghut and tughyan, in Falafatul Usul, Kulluma Tajawas al Hat, everything that goes beyond the boundaries is the Taghut and the Tughyan, and the Shaytan is at the head of all of those who are upon that Tughyan, all of the Taghut. What Taghut, Mushtaqun min al Tughyan, Wahua Mujawazatul Hat, Kama Sabak. So Tughyan, it is transgressing the boundaries. And so the shaitan certainly transgressed the boundaries. Jabir, he said, 
that the Tawarit, they are the Kuhan, like the sorcerers. Tanzil, what's the word they use in English? Who's got the English? Kuhan, what do they say? Here. Soothsayers? The Qala Jabir at Tawarit Kuhan. The Tawarit, they are soothsayers? Show me one minute. Soothsayers. They say soothsayers. Allah alam what the soothsayer exactly is in English, what the definition of that is. But the Quran, uh, it appears to me that the understanding of a sorcerer, that type of thing is a kahin. Those fortune tellers, soothsayers, those kinds of people are the Quran. So the Tawarit are these soothsayers, as it says in that translation, like the sorcerers and the fortune tellers, those types of people. And the shayateen used to come upon them. In every area, there used to be one of them. So the, the kahin is somebody who claims knowledge of the unseen. So the soothsayers, the palm readers, the fortune tellers, all of those who claim knowledge of the unseen, they are the kuhan. كانوا في الجاهلية يتخذون حكاما من الكهان يحكمون بين الناس In Jahiliya, these types of fortune tellers, soothsayers, the people used to put them in the position of leaders and they used to take them as the judges in their affairs. And as for these ayat, what was being referenced here about the Jews, all of this was being mentioned and their involvement in magic. What do the Jews actually claim? The Jews actually claim Al-Yahud yadda'oon anna Sulaiman allamahum as-sihr. Lakin radda Allahu ala thalik uh, the Jews, they actually claimed that Sulaiman taught them magic. But of course, that is not the case. It is not Sulaiman who taught them the magic. And the reality is, as some of the scholars have mentioned, from the people who practice magic the most are the Jews. وَكَانَ هَؤُلَاءِ الْكُهَّانِ تَنْزِلُ عَلَيْهُمُ الشَّيَاطِينَ الَّتِي تَسْتَرِقُ السَّمَعِ So you, we've mentioned the narration before of how the shayateen of the jinn, they climb on top of each other's backs until they reach the heavens and then they attempt to eavesdrop. They attempt to listen in the heavens for some information that they can receive and so then the shooting stars are sent upon them. And sometimes the shooting star may strike them before they manage to hear and pass on anything. But sometimes they may manage to hear something and pass it on 
before the shooting star strikes them. So it manages to get passed on. So that piece of information that manages to get passed on, it's absolute truth stolen from the heavens. And so then they take that information of truth to these Quran, to the soothsayers, fortune tellers, crystal ball, all of those things, they take it to them. They submit themselves and show their subservience and obedience to these shayateen in exchange of that information. Then when they do their crystal ball and their palm reading and cards and all of those things they do, they lie and they lie and they lie and none of what they say comes true except that one piece of information because that was truth stolen and so the people afterwards they don't remember the lies and lies and lies none of which came true they're only going to remember the one thing that ended up happening they say look didn't he say it was going to be like this and look how it happened so these are the kuhan that the shayateen used to come upon them and he mentions in the Quran, هَلْ أُنَبِّئُكُمْ عَلَى مَنْ تَنَزَّلُ الشَّيَاطِينَ تَنَزَّلُ عَلَى كُلِّ أَفَّاكٍ أَثِيمٍ تَنَزَّلُ عَلَى كُلِّ أَفَّاكٍ أَثِيمٍ يُلْقُونَ السَّمْعَ وَأَكْثَرُهُمْ كَاذِبُونَ That shall we inform you or shall I inform you upon who the shayateen descend? They descend upon every أَفَّاك أَثِيمٍ Upon all of those fabricators, those liars, those soothsayers, fortune tellers. And this is mentioned in the Quran about them, that they would steal from the heavens and the hadith, we mentioned it I think already, when they would steal that from the heavens and then pass that on to these individuals. So just to round off today's section, Al-Kahin, huwa alladhi يُخْبِرُ النَّاسَ عَنِ الْمُغِيَّبَاتِ The kahin, the fortune tellers, the soothsayers, the crystal ball, the palm readers, they are the people who tell others, their clients, they tell them about the unseen, about events that are unseen. بِسَبَبْ أَنَّهُ يَسْأَلَ الشَّيَاطِينَ وَتُخْبِرُهُ الشَّيَاطِينَ عَنِ الْأَشْيَاءِ الْغَائِبَةِ وَالْأَشْيَاءَ الْمَسْرُوقَةِ الْمَفْقُودَةِ وَالْأَشْيَاءَ الْبَعِيدَةِ وَهُوَ يُخْبِرُ النَّاسِ فَهُوَ يُخْبِرُ النَّاسِ فَيَظُنُّونَ أَنَّ هَذَا الْكَاهِنِ يَعْلَمُ الْغَيْبِ وَهُوَ لَيْسَ كَذَلِكَ لَا يَعْلَمُ الْغَيْبِ إِنَّمَا أَخْبَرَتُ الشَّيَاطِينَ بِأَشْيَاءٍ غَائِبَةٍ لِأَنَّ الشَّيَاطِينَ لَهُمْ قُدْرَةٌ عَلَى الطَّيْرَانِ السَّرِيعِ وَالْوُصُولِ إلَى الْأَمْكِنَةِ الْبَعِيدَةِ حَتَّى إِنَّهُمْ يَسْعَدُونَ إلَى السَّحَابِ وَيَطِيرُونَ فِي الْآثَارِ فَهُمْ يَجُوبُونَ الآثاق بسرعة فيأتون بالأخبار ويخبرون الكهان ويرون الأشياء المغيبة في البيوت أو في الأمكنة لأنهم يدخلون بعض البيوت وعندهم مقدرة ليست عند الإنس فإذا تقرب إليهم الإنس بما يريدون من الشرك والذبح لغير الله والسجود لهم فإنهم يخدمونه بما يريد فيظن الإنس أن هذا الكاهن عنده خبر من الغيب وأنه له خاصية so what happens here then with these fortune tellers? They ask the shayateen. They submit themselves to the shayateen. They obey them. And so the shayateen 
give them information about unseen affairs. Meaning, because remember, the ghayb is of two types. The unseen is of two types. One type is the absolute unseen that of course even the shayateen, anybody, no one has access to that except Allah. But then there is another type of ghayb, the ghayb nisbi, the relative unseen. Right now, behind that door in the office, what's happening right now? What is, how many brothers are sat in there? What are they doing right now? Who can see what's happening in there? We cannot. That is unseen to us here. What is happening above this ceiling on the second floor right now? Are there people up there? Are they doing something? It is unseen to us. But it is a relative unseen. If one of us now goes upstairs, is it unseen to him? Not at all. But to us it is. It's a relative type of ghayb. With these types of relative ghayb, the ghayb nisbi, the shayateen have greater access to it than we. So a person may go to one of these fortune tellers and say, I lost my valuable ring. I lost it somewhere. Where? Tell me. You have the knowledge of the unseen. Tell me. So those shayateen now, they have the ability to access places and to travel and to get to places. As the Sheikh mentions here, they can fly in the sky and get to one place to the next place and enter the homes of the people. And they can look and search in all types of places that we simply could not. And as a consequence of those abilities the shayateen have, they may be able to find this ring in some place that we would never otherwise find ourselves. So they managed to find it with their speed and their ability to fly and enter people's homes and all of those things. They find the ring somewhere. So they come to the soothsayer, they tell him the ring is in, it, it's at the beach under this particular rock and here and there. So now the soothsayer tells these people, they say, yes, we were there a month ago. And they go back and they go to the particular rock and they go to the particular area. They look and there's the ring. So now they think, that's it, this magician knows. This soothsayer knows. This fortune teller, this crystal ball man, he knows. He told us exactly where the ring was. And it is from the work of the shayateen, those who have the ability to access a greater uh, uh, area and to uh, uh, get to further places and to get to the different lands and enter people's homes. And so they have a greater access to these affairs. They have a greater ability on these affairs. And so they get information. They get information that people, humans would not otherwise get. So with that information, they come to the fortune tellers. And the fortune tellers then make it look like to the people that they have knowledge of the unseen. So these types of fortune tellers in Jahiliya, the people used to raise them and put them as the rulers and the people in authority over their areas and they used to go and seek their judgments from them and every tribe used to have one of these people so when Islam came Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala nullified all of that but 
بما يقول فقد كفر بما أنزل على محمد. We're gonna do that later on. But the Sheikh says, still though in certain places, people still have these fortune tellers and soothsayers and sorcerers, magicians. They go to them and they ask them, and these affairs still exist and they still occur in certain places. And the Hadith tells us though, whoever goes to a sorcerer or a fortune teller and believes what he tells him, then that person who went to them, that person himself has committed kufr upon what was revealed to Muhammad sallallahu لا للعلاج ولا للسؤال عن الأشياء الضائعة ولا الأشياء الغائبة وهذا كفر بما أنزل الله سبحانه So it is not permissible to go to the soothsayers, to the fortune tellers, to these liars and fabricators, not for the sake of cure. How many people they go to the likes of these individuals for cure, cure me from this illness, from this pain, from this affair. They go to these types of soothsayers and fortune tellers to get cure for some medical issue. Not permissible to go to them for that. Not permissible to go to them to ask them questions. Where is this item, that item, I've lost this, I've lost that. Impermissible to go to them for any affair. Whomsoever does, then he has disbelieved in the revelation Allah sent us. ولا يجوز إقرارهم وتركهم بل يجب القضاء عليهم وإراحة البلاد والعباد منهم This will come to it in a moment later on about the hukam on the soothsayers and the magicians and what is supposed to be done to them and what if one repents That's going to come as the Sheikh said there are evidences that are going to explain the ruling on the magicians and the soothsayers themselves so far, we've generally opened up the chapter with evidences regarding the ruling on magic and soothsaying that it's clearly completely impermissible and kufr and no magician becomes a magician except by committing kufr and disbelieving. That's the section we'll stop on for today then, the opening section into these chapters. And there are a few, a few chapters are going to come up now. And they're going to cover all of the topics, including star signs. Can I read my star signs or not? And all of these things that are connected to the issues of magic and fortune telling and crystal ball and palm reading. That all comes up specifically. All of those topics, inshallah ta'ala, that's what the next few lessons will be. So today then, we'll stop on that section, inshallah ta'ala, next week after Isha. We'll carry on with the chapter with the next hadith. The hadith where the Prophet told us, stay away from the seven destructive sins. That hadith will begin with from next week, inshallah ta'ala. Wa sallallahu ala nabiyyina Muhammadu ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam. Any questions? But wait, don't start asking questions about magic, this magic, that. We're going to do the chapters. So inshallah ta'ala, if they advanced questions about situations and issues wait uh, two or three more sessions if there are questions about those types of things but anything else namima and ghibah 
Those two actions are impermissible. Uh, Namima, like we just mentioned, the hadith, the messenger said these two are being punished in their grave. One of them because he used to spread Namima between people, take stories between people. He was saying this and I heard him say that. And he made this comment and he did this and he did that. And the other one, Riba, backbiting. And also Buhtan, slander. All of these are mentioned in the texts. Uh, That's talking about the riba, the backbiting. Would you love to eat the meat of your dead brother from his body? That's the example when you backbite someone. When you're talking bad about people and they don't like it. That riba. All of those things are haram. Refutations are actually, they are. They are what? They are riba. They are riba in the definition of riba. The one who, who you refute, is he going to be happy with what you're saying? So the scholars, they say, okay, when you look at the definitions and things, it is riba. However, it is clearly outside of what is intended by riba and namima in these texts. And that is highlighted by al-imam shafii Al-Imam Shafi'i from those days, he spoke about how uh, refutations are excluded from the affair of riba. So when you do a refutation upon somebody, you're going to be speaking bad about him. You're going to be highlighting all of his oppositions to the sunnah, how he is upon innovation and bid'ah. And you're going to clarify all of that. But the intention there, the intent behind a refutation is what? It is not to defend yourself. And this is the calamity that so many people fall into. Their so-called refutations upon people are really only a defense of themselves. To defend themselves. I was right and he was wrong. So their refutations are only a defense of themselves. That is incorrect. Refutations upon people are not done for your personal defense. Refutations are done primarily for the preservation of the religion. That's why refutations are done. For the preservation of the religion. The preservation of the Quran and the Sunnah. The preservation of the people upon the truth. That's the purpose of refutations. If you're only writing a refutation to, uh, so you can sleep easy at night yourself against someone, then you have not fulfilled the sincere reality of what a refutation is. They are done for the sake of preserving the religion. So when a mubtadi' or an innovator, some deviant, he comes and he starts spreading some false ideas. He's like the, the innovators in the time of Imam Ahmad. They began saying the Quran is created. Al-Quran makhluq. So now you have to refute them. And you have to make it clear to the people, no, the Qur'an is kalamullah, ghayru makhluq. You have to, for the sake of preserving the correct aqidah, preserving the religion, preserving the people upon the truth. And that's why when that trial happened, and the rulers, they were taking all of the great scholars of that time, and they were killing some of them, and they were beating others, and throwing them into prison, if they would not agree that the Qur'an is created, until some of them, they used some tawriyah, 
some type of ambiguity when they came to some of them and they said, what do you say? Ma qawluka? The Torah and the Injil and the Quran, makhluq or ghayru makhluq? So some of them, it's mentioned, one of them, he said, he said, shuf, al-Zabur, wal-Tawrat, wal-Injil, wal-Quran, kullu hadihi makhluqah. He said, they're all created. They said, khalas, you're okay. But what he meant was, al-Zabur, wal-Tawrat, wal-Injil, wal-Quran, kullu hadihi makhluqah. Yani rasabih. All of the fingers are created. He's talking about his fingers. My fingers, all of these are created. But the way he phrased it, the Torah, the Zabur, the Injil, the Quran, all of these are created. But some of them, like Imam Ahmad, he said, I'm not even going to do anything like that. He wouldn't do it at all, because the stance that was taken was, if he did even that, and even suggested in any way to the people, that he has taken the position the Qur'an is created, then how much of a trial would that have been upon the masses of the people? So the refutations are done for the purpose of preserving the religion. And that does not come into the definition of riba then, or it does not come into the reality of the evil of riba. It is a necessity and something accepted and required in the religion and practiced and implemented from, in fact, from the time of the Prophet They say the, the concept of refutations exists from the time of the Prophet And they give an example, and, or do you want to do it as homework? I think it would be a good homework. An example from when the Prophet ﷺ refuted someone. That's your homework. Because they say in the sciences of hadith, the asal of this affair comes from the time of the Prophet ﷺ. And there's a narration that highlights, not a refutation how we think of it, refuting a mubtadi' but the concept of highlighting the error in order to warn against a person, exists in a hadith. So who can find that? Bring that next week. So that, uh, the point is, refutations against people are to preserve the religion. That is not backbiting. If you now mention some of the deviants, you mention some of the misguided people, and you mention their errors, it's not backbiting, it is preserving the people and their religion from falling into that misguidance, like we gave the example last time, if you don't do it, then you're allowing them to make holes in the ship and all of the people are going to drown. Everybody will believe the Quran is created then. Everybody will believe there are no names and attributes. Everybody will believe all those deviations. You cannot allow the ship to be penetrated in that way and sink. You must preserve it. So this does not come into Namima and Riba if it is done sincerely like that. Sincerely, it's an action of worship, refutations, not the calamity that you see the people on these days, the social media and the platforms and the YouTube, and everybody wants to talk about everybody else, and there is no reality to that, there is no basis to that, and the people of innovation want to refute the people of the Sunnah, and they have the platform on Facebook and here and there and YouTube. All of that is a nonsense. But Ahlu Sunnah, the scholars of the Sunnah, those upon the Sunnah, 
They refute with knowledge and evidence, knowledge and evidence against those deserving of it, and they recognize the method of how to do it. When you look at Sheikh Rabi'ah, look at some of the examples of the big figureheads of innovation who have been refuted now. But in the early stages before the refutations came out, how much time and effort he put into the affair with those people in advising them and trying to rectify their affair. Everything has its method of doing it. Sometimes it may not need the private advice. Sometimes it may need an immediate refutation. If it is some public error by some mubtadi' and he's spreading it, then refute that. It is not a condition, but you need to speak to him and you need to do this. A mubtadi' comes on television and millions of followers tells them the Qur'an is created. You must rectify that and clarify that to the people immediately. But then, if it is between the people where you have hope for their rectification, people from who are close to the sunnah, then you have a way of behavior. You have a way of etiquette of how you're going to advise, how you're going to refute them if it requires that. I remember one occasion one of the scholars said to us, now the refutations are all out. At that time they weren't upon an individual. He said, I've written a refutation, but I'm deciding yet whether to publish the name and to do this or that, or whether to do it this way or that way. There are methods, but the people, they do not understand these methods. Anything happens now, straight away, go onto the social media, make a video against this person, that person, write an article against this person, that person, put a tweet out against this person, that person. This is the calamity that has occurred between the people. But the reality of refutations, it is from the religion. And it is the methodology and manhaj of Ahl Sunnah wal Jama'ah. Anybody else? This will be another time. No? Ah. This question, I think we touched upon it a couple of chapters ago about how to send the salam upon the Prophet ﷺ. And we spoke about how you don't need to send your salam with somebody who then goes and takes it for you and goes to the grave and gives your salam on behalf of you. But somebody is asking for details on the exact wording, the wordings of different methods of doing that and uh, the exact phrases to be used uh, inshallah ta'ala we'll come back to this next week then we'll come back to it next week uh, with specific phrases and words and supplications and du'as that a person can read and they are included within those supplications and du'as and the exact phrases inshallah ta'ala we'll come to it next week what's the difference complaints and backbiting Complaints? Complaints, making complaints about someone.
complaint, uh, it, it depends what uh, exactly what you mean by complaint and who and what and where. You, you may go to somebody and complain in a situation where it's permissible, correct, in a workplace, for example. You would go to the manager if there was a problem with another staff member. That wouldn't be considered backbiting. If you go to the manager and say, but this staff member is not following the rules and uh, we're supposed to be doing this or that and he's not doing it and he's making my work difficult, you can, of course, go and make that type of complaint. So that, that wouldn't be considered backbiting where there is a necessity and a need and it's within the, the regulations. Mm. And that is these ayat. It's the same ayat. But uh, uh, the tafsir of them explains, uh, even when they said that we are a fitna. Uh, but if you want to look at that, uh, if you have it here, I don't know. Is Abdurrahman Sa'id in English, the, the tafsir? Is all of it? Oh, yeah, it's all in English. All in English. So, if I, is it here? Probably here somewhere, or not? Ibn Kathir is difficult. But uh, Tafsir al-Sa'adi, <coughs> if you have Tafsir al-Sa'adi, I would recommend everybody get this. Tafsir Abdurrahman al-Sa'adi. It is the easiest, simplest Tafsir just to give you an idea of what you want to find out. Any particular ayah, any particular section, go to the Tafsir al-Sa'adi. There's no riwayat. There's no narrations. He just gives you the straightforward. Allah is telling us in this ayah X, Y, and Z. And Allah is commanding us in this ayah with such and such. And when, uh, like we did the story of Yusuf alayhi salam, the, uh, the father of Yusuf, when he said this, he meant X, Y, and Z. Simple, straightforward tafsir. Tafsir ijmali, as they call it. A generalized tafsir that gives you the meanings. So have a look at that for that, inshallah. How do you show him the text? Show him the matan. It's in the matan there. All right, Ikhwan. Inshallah, next week then. Jazakumullah khair.